the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Last week, we began a series called Man's Free Will. We'll close out that series here today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Gary Wagner gives us one final look at God's Word, again, on the issue of free will. Hi there, and again, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Well, for the past few programs, we have focused our attention on God's Word and what God has to say about man's free will. We would invite you to join us today for one final look at this amazing series, clarifying for us the great theme of grace, and indeed it is, from start to finish, all of grace. We're not talking about whether or not we have a free will. We're talking about just how amazingly great God's grace really is. And really, at the end of the day, can you ascribe too much greatness to God's grace? Well, for the answer to that, let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Johnny was about eight years old. He had a $20 bill in hand, and he had the choice of a hundred different ice cream flavors on this board right in front of him. The love of his heart was ice cream. The only thing he wanted to do, that which he loved more than anything else, was to eat ice cream. And here he was with all of these choices, but Johnny's mom comes into the ice cream store because it's dinner time. She says, Johnny, what are you doing in this ice cream store? It's time for supper. I don't want you to eat this ice cream. First of all, it's not good for you. It'll make you sick, and it'll ruin your supper. And you know what? I've got some wonderful liver and onions and cooked spinach at home for you, which is good for you. And I want you to go home right now and eat. So she literally grabs him by the scruff of the neck, and she pulls him out of the ice cream store and makes him sit down at the table and jams a forkful of liver and onions and spinach into his mouth. Now, is that the way God saves sinners? Of course not. Let me tell you how he does it. You see, Johnny's in the ice cream store. He's got that $20 bill. He's got the hundred different kinds of ice cream flavors. His heart is full of love for that ice cream that is superior to all other of his loves. It's time for dinner, and Johnny's mom comes walking in. She says, Johnny, ice cream's not good for you. Liver and onions and spinach are. And it's time to go home and eat supper. She then snaps her finger over Johnny's head and all of a sudden his taste buds change and he says, What am I doing in this ice cream store? I hate ice cream. I love liver and spinach and onions. So before she can grab him by the back of his neck, he's out that door. He races home. He gobbles up the liver and spinach because... The taste buds of his life have changed. But that which Johnny once loved, he now hates. And that which he once hated, he now loves. And that is what God does 
when you become a Christian. God doesn't save you contrary to your will. God changes your will. God changes, as it were, the taste buds of your heart. And no one can do that but God. He doesn't make you a Christian whether you want to become a Christian or not. He makes you a Christian by giving you the want to. And if He had not given you the want to, you never would have, been, you never would have chosen to be a Christian. So you see, God saves in this way so that all the credit for salvation goes to Him. After hearing something like this, you may be asking, well, where do I fit into the picture? Do I get any credit at all for being a Christian? No. The only thing you get credit for is being a sinner. That's it. If you're a Christian here today, beloved, it is not of your doing in any way, shape, or form. It is because God gave you a new heart. And one of the most treacherous things about a lost person's condition is that he has no idea how bad off he really is. And then when he is confronted with how bad off he is, there is a resistance in his heart toward the radical, unloving preacher or friend or family member who exposes those sins in his life. So my friends, if you have any loved ones or friends who are not Christians, you must pray earnestly for them because unless God sovereignly and graciously changes the heart, they are lost forever. But now as Christians, we have the freedom. And we have the ability to do good, to serve God, to love Jesus, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because Jesus gave it to us. When we were lost and unconverted, we had the freedom to choose if we wanted to, but we would never want to. We didn't have the ability to choose. So just remember these two words, and you will understand human will. Before the fall, unfallen, perfect Adam had the freedom and the ability to choose to love God. Then after the fall and before conversion, mankind had the freedom to choose God, but not the ability nor a desire. After conversion, those who are now con Christians have the freedom and the ability and the desire to choose God and obey Him and to live for Christ. Oh, but not perfectly. Because, you see, we're still tainted by our sin. You know, the Bible says, again, that a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit, and a bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. Well, you see, before conversion, we were bad trees, and all we could do was produce bad fruit. And now, although the root of the matter within us is good and changed because God has changed it, there are still all kinds of stuff within us hanging over from that old life. You know, things like old habits and old desires and old tendencies that we are going to have to struggle with our whole life. So I don't want anyone to get the impression that because God gives you a new heart, that means that you will never sin again. You know, a, a lady once said to Pastor G. Campbell Morgan, actually a very great English preacher, she said, Brother Morgan... I have lived above sin, and I haven't committed a sin for the past 25 years. And Pastor Morgan said to her, Madam, you're pretty proud of that, aren't you? And she said, Yes, sir, I am. And there ended 25 years of a perfect track record. Now, to say that we have new hearts is not to say that we are perfect and sinless. 
Because though we are made new and the root of the matter has changed, there is still this indwelling sin within us. And there are struggles going on within a Christian to do what is right. He has to wrestle against those evil tendencies that are still remaining. In fact, we see in Romans 7, this borne out. In Romans, 7, in Romans chapter 7, Paul is giving his testimony. And starting up in verse 7 and going down through verse 14, he uses past tense verbs to describe his former self, his former situation before he was a Christian. But now dramatically, beginning with verse 15, he uses present tense verbs to describe himself as a Christian and the struggles that he has to go through. So this sounds familiar to your situation, I'm sure. Verse 15. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, or you could say, I do not love. I do not always love what I am doing, for I am not practicing what I will to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. And if I do the very thing I do not will to do, I agree with the law confessing what is good. So now, no longer am I doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I will, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, or will, or love, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wants or wills to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So in other words, his heart is different here. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war with the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set, my, set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. There is a severe struggle that only the Christian knows anything about. If you're here today and you are still unconverted, you know nothing about this struggle in your own experience. Or you may think you do, but trust me, you do not because you still have an evil heart that has no desire to do that which is good. The only people who know anything about this struggle are those who joyfully, as it says, concur with the law of God in their hearts. But there are still those old habits, those old tendencies that we have to struggle against and war against and wrestle against and pray against all of our lives. But there is victory for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can count on it, brothers and sisters. So where have we gotten so far? The four stages of the human nature. How did God create Adam? He created Adam with freedom and the ability to choose and to serve God or to choose and to serve the devil anytime he wanted. That is not the kind of will that man has now because he lost that when Adam succumbed to sin. Now he has the freedom to choose but not the desire or ability to choose God anymore. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they plunged their entire posterity, all of us who have come from them by natural generation, which is every single one of us in this room, into a state where we have lost the ability to do that which is right. We have lost the ability not to sin, lost the ability and the desire to choose God if left to ourselves. And everything we do now is sinful. 
We do whatever our heart tells us to do. We choose whatever we want to choose, but our hearts will never tell us to choose Christ in our condition before conversion. Our heart will always tell us to do what is evil, even though we may think we are doing what is right. But God, by His grace, has not left man in this condition because God has come in His mercy and He has changed the hearts of His people so that not only do they have the freedom now to choose to love Jesus, they have the ability and the desire to love Jesus and to choose to obey Him because God has given them a new heart, a a new power, a, a new spirit within. And now He causes them to walk in the way of His commandments. That's the third stage. Now we have the fourth stage. There is still a fourth state of the human will that we have yet as to talk about, and that is the Christian after death. As a Christian right now, we want to choose good, but sometimes we choose evil. We've all experienced this. Our hearts tell us to choose good, but sometimes we choose evil, and then our consciousness smite us for it. But when we go to heaven... We will neither have the liberty nor the ability to choose anything but good. There will be no free will to do or to choose or to want evil in heaven. No one will even have the freedom to choose it. It will be gone. It will be eradicated. There is no evil there to choose. You will be a total slave to God's love with absolutely no, no, no ability to sin. Is there anyone here who doesn't want that? Is there anyone here who doesn't want to be in total bondage to the love of God? You know, not one of us will be talking about our rights or our freedoms. We'll be talking about our chains, the chains of God's love that keep us from even wanting to sin in our lives. Well, now you know everything I know about free will. Let me review quickly. First of all, free will is not the best of terms. We have established that we have the natural liberty to choose, and we are accountable to God for all of our actions, but the, free, the phrase free will to describe that decision-making faculty in man is not a good phrase. Number one, the will is not free from the heart. Your heart influences your will. Number two, if you are unconverted, your will is not free from the influence of evil in your heart. Number three, if you are converted, your will is not free from the influence of God's grace. God will make you walk according to his law word. And number four, man's will is not free from the will of God. God's will governs your will as well as everything else. Therefore, to use the phrase free will is a misleading term, unless you give three sermons to explain that phrase. Secondly, God holds us accountable for all of our choices. People, when they hear Calvinists, you know, talk about predestination and the sovereignty of God and such, they think, surely, that those Reformed people don't believe we have a will at all. Or they just say they do, but they really don't. Of course, my friends, this is far, far, far from the truth. We believe it so much. That we believe you're held accountable before God for every choice you have ever made in your life. And that someday, 
At the end of history, the judge of heaven and earth is going to appear, and whether you believe it or not, or whether you want it or not to happen, you are going to stand before the judge of heaven and earth, and you're going to have to give an account for every choice and every decision and every act you have ever made. And if your choices and decisions, however valuable they may have been to some other human being, have not been in full surrender to Jesus Christ, God will damn you to hell for your wrong choices. We absolutely believe in free will and accountability. You will be held accountable for your wrong decisions and your wrong choices. Unless you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. The choices and decisions you make today out from under the saving grace of our triune God, will affect you throughout eternity. That's how real your will is. And today, if you will to continue to live in rebellion against Jesus Christ, it will simply harden you more in that direction and make it impossible unless God intervenes for you to ever, ever, ever turn around. You are held accountable for all your choices and all of your decisions. Thirdly, in Christ, God enables us to bring our wills into conformity with His will, revealed in His Word. That is the blessed thing about being a Christian. When you become a Christian, your will is no longer resistant to God's will. You know, one of the ways you can know whether or not you love yourself more than you love God, is by your response to being told your will is governed by God's will and that God's will is the most ultimate thing in your life. Now, if when I just said that, you felt a little bit of hostility or resistance in your heart, that says something about your own spirituality, about your own inner psyche. Because you see, a Christian, who, a Christian wants his will to be more and more into conformity to the revealed will of God in the Bible. And God says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children to do them forever. You see, God's will is the origin of everything in the universe. And there are many things that God wills for your life that you will never know about until they happen. Those are called the secret things. And that's why fortune tellers and horoscopes and all such things are condemned so severely in the Bible. Because they are attempts to try and understand and control your future without God. And you cannot do it. There are secret things about God's will that you are not to know until they happen. But there are certain things that God has willed for your life that you can know right here and now. You say, Pastor, I want to know God's will for my life. How can I know His will for my life? Here it is. God has given us this book wherein He has told us everything we need to know about His will for our lives. And that as we believe this book and we follow it and allow it to regulate our thinking and our living and all of our relationships, we will be doing the will of God. And our wills formally resistant to God will be brought into conformity to the will of God. But you can't live that kind of life on your own. For your will will always be resistant against God and never desirous of conforming to His will without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins and our rebellion against God. He paid the penalty for our punishment, the debt that we owe to God for our rebellion, and then set forth, sent forth the Holy Spirit into this world to make dead men come to life, to unchain our wills, to set us free, to give us new hearts, so that we will want to bring our wills into conformity to Christ. And then only then will we want God, will we want to do what God wants us to do and to walk with God, going in the same direction as he is. Anyone here want to be at odds with God? Anyone here want to be in rebellion against God? That is, of course, a suicide way for your life. Do you want to walk in the same direction God is walking? And have your will in conformity to his will, which is the only happiness that there is? Well, you can't have this kind of life without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit and his revealed will. So my last words to you today are, choose Christ. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose to surrender your life, every aspect of your life to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Some of you are probably saying, Gary, you, you just contradicted everything you said today in this sermon. What do you mean, choose Christ? You told me if I'm not a sinner, I'm not a Christian, I can't choose Christ. I, I won't choose Christ. And you've told me that the only way a person can ever choose to become a Christian is for God to give him the ability and the desire to do so. How in the world do I know that God has given me the ability to believe in Jesus? How do I know I can do it? Oh, please, I don't want to perish. I say to you, just try it. See, if you can trust in Jesus, repent of your sins, quit living whatever kind of life you've been living up to this moment, rest in Christ alone for salvation, and surrender your life to be governed by His Word under His Lordship forever. Try it. See if you can. The fact that you're even here and you have a desire, beloved, is probably a good way of showing to you that God's already working in your heart. But whenever you throw up your little objections not to do so, or you try to find some logical inconsistency in the theology and philosophy given to you in this sermon, it's not really objections. It's merely excuses. Beloved, there's only one thing standing between you and being a Christian right this moment. And that is your deliberate choice to refuse to do so. And you will be held accountable for that decision if you die die in that condition. So I call on you this very day. Quit putting it off. Quit playing games with yourself. Quit playing games with your conscience and lay aside the resistance of your heart and choose to follow Jesus. Now those of you who have surrendered your wills to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ, Strive to bring your lives more and more into conformity to God's holy word. Do not allow yourselves to go lax in well-doing. Don't be settled with where you are now. Do everything you can to grow in your faith. Be persistent in prayer and Bible study. And if there's any aspect of your life that is not in conformity to God's revealed will, strive diligently and pray for God's grace that you become more aligned to his will. And humble yourselves, beloved. Humble yourselves. 
Love your neighbors as you love yourselves. Remember, you can never argue or debate someone into heaven. Your job is to simply know the truths of God's word and his gospel message, and then to present it clearly to others, and to live it out in your own life, calling others to repent and to choose Christ as their only means of salvation and the life of happiness and contentment. And then, beloved, I ask you more than anything else, be faithful, be faithful in the little things every single day. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408 866 5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Music.